like to just share a few thoughts with you. Merry Christmas week. Would you all please keep, um, keep the house in prayer? We have quite a few ones at the hospital today. We have some COVID going around. We have a few people sick. So would you all, let's just take a moment and pray. And I also want to just, uh, I know we don't do this for everybody. Please don't be offended if we didn't do it for you. But you all know um, Uncle Moses, Moses Nimne is a pastor that we minister with over in Liberia. His wife may have ovarian cancer. And, and to be treated for that in Liberia, let's just say that's as risky as the disease. So we want to pray for them and pray for all of those who, who are sick. And I'd like to invite you to join me in praying. This is a hard time of year for a lot of people. I'm in touch with a few people who lost loved ones right around Christmas, and it colors every Christmas after that. Some of you here know exactly what I mean by that. And we want the Lord to just penetrate through, as he did that first Christmas, penetrate through and be the Prince of Peace. And by peace, it doesn't just mean everything feels calm and relaxed. Peace means it's all put back together again. It's nothing missing, nothing broken. It's been repaired. So let's, uh, can we join together in that? Father, we bless those who are home today sick, the one who's at the hospital today. We bless and pray that you would rise up, son of righteousness, with healing in your rays. Fulfill every purpose for the cross, part of which was to heal us by those stripes that were inflicted on you. So we ask you, Lord, to do that. Work some miracles and make it a genuinely Merry Christmas, a mighty encounter with the Christ to every last one who's suffering in any way right now, those who are lonely and feeling harmed right now and hurt by life circumstances, which just revisit again this time of year, which should be a time of genuine joy to the world. I pray that you would make the weeping, which is endured for a night, finish and joy come in the morning. May everlasting joy be upon your head in the name of the Prince of Peace, the one who was anointed with the oil of joy. May that anointing now be your portion in the name of Jesus. And we pray for Francilia. You might be watching us right now. I didn't check, but God bless you, Francilia. We pray that you would work absolute miracles of healing in Francilia's body. Thank you for guiding and comforting her and overwhelming her for all of these years through the other things she's endured. But this one we pray in Jesus' name, cancer submit to the name of Jesus. Ovaries and, and uterus be whole in the name of Jesus. May that body from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet right now experience the fullness of God. Holy Spirit, come and visit your temple, Francilia. Come suddenly and appear in your temple right now and overwhelm. May the train of your temple fill her body with glory. Fill it, Jesus, and overwhelm her with your goodness. We pray for all of those who right now are sick in any way that you would come and do that for which you came to destroy the works of the devil. You still do it today. We take comfort in that. We stand in faith in that and ask you to work some miracles before our own eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Everybody okay? I was wondering, and I'm just going to gently remind you, it's a different view in the drum cage. Um, you know, we're, someday we'll be cage-free drummers, but for now, you know, it's, it's that, and through the glass, I could see. I want to encourage you to use your whole body as an instrument of worship. I come from a conservative church, like many of you, and I've found the joy in submitting to the Word of God, which I've preached over the last few weeks, and using my whole body as an instrument. And the most basic thing we do is lifting up our hands to the Lord. Whether we understand it or not, whether we think, oh, if I do this, I understand why I should do that. How many of you know sometimes we just do it because God said so? I mean, all of us hated when our parents said that, right? Because I said so. Kids, you still hate it when your parents say because I said so. You know what that means? It means I don't feel like arguing with you right now. I just said it, you're going to do it. Thankfully, God's not most of the time like that. But there's some things He's told us to do. We lift up holy hands to Him. So I want to urge you to do that. Use your body because it's just a, uh, it's an absolute uh, instrument of worship. It's the main reason for having a body. So um, I'd like to finish out some things about worship today, but I want to really touch into the root of it because you can say, like I just did, hey, you should pick up your hands. You should sing with all your heart. You should, you know, every once in a while get on your face. You can tell everybody what to do. And that, that goes nowhere fast, doesn't it? And, and many people, I know you and I know the Dutch culture and it's not different than the Scottish culture. You know, it's funny. Every single people group on earth takes pride in how stubborn they are. Did you know that? 
Talk about an Italian pride. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you'll know it. You know, it's, there's this, it's so funny how we take pride in being stubborn. And it's the one thing God said about his people, the Hebrews, the Jews, the stiff-necked people is what, what that literally means. It's almost as if there's something in us that says, if you tell me to do it, now I don't want to do it. I was going to do it until you told me to. <laughs> you know it. You all raised, some of you raised kids. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's why we should be careful with, you know, tell, right when they're about to do something, not to tell them to do it. But anyway, <laughs> when it comes to worship, it has to come from the deepest place in us. And I want to tap into something today, which I'll share with you, which is that we have something in the deepest core of our being, a part of us that once was dead and now is alive in Christ. And its favorite thing to do is worship. Its favorite thing to do is to take over this whole body and make it an instrument of worship from our service, the things that we do for the Lord. Remember, we don't serve people. We always serve the Lord, even if we have a boss, even if we're a slave, we have a master. No matter who it is that we think we're serving, we're always serving the Lord. That which is in us delights in serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord through service. That which is in us delights in singing the songs that the angels have been singing since the dawn of time. When the morning star sang and all the angels sang, it said a creation. There was songs going on from the first breath that God breathed. And he said, let there be light. There's been a song. We're finding out now science is confirming what the word's been telling us for millennia, that every single thing in all creation makes music. Do you know every cell in our body, every every single um, atom in that pole is making a noise right now. In fact, metal reverberates with whatever we make. So whatever sound we make, it reverberates it. I don't want to get too science geeky on you right now, but this really trips me out that every single thing resonates, makes the sound again with whatever our voice proclaims. That, that goes for plants, it goes for living things, it goes for things that don't have life in them, and everything that God created. Let make a joyful to the noise, make a joyful noise to the Lord, rather, all the earth, and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Why? Because when we praise the Lord, everything resounds with worship. How will the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the seas? Because there's so many people resounding His praises that everything reverberates and echoes his glory. Do you know that God, when he said, let there be light, his voice was so powerful that there are still galaxies coming into life. At the outer region of our universe, we're discovering galaxies are still being born now. In fact, it wasn't just because God said, let there be light. He said, yeah, let there be some lights in the heavens. Some lights in the heavens. Do you know how many galaxies there are with how many billions of stars in each one and it's still being created now? I'm way more excited about that than you are. (laughs) That's the power of his voice and the power of our voice when we use it for his praise is every bit as powerful. How many of you want to live in a world that's just like heaven invaded the place? I'm going to put two hands up for that one. How many of you are sick of all the stuff? The junk, the... I won't use some of the words that would come to mind that we live in the midst of. You sick of all of it? Then resound his praise. That's the solution. Make the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's a language in earth where the voice isn't heard everywhere. If you have ears to hear, is already singing praise. What's our worship? We join together with a song that's already been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And so... The Psalm 100 that we've been looking at, uh, I've been exhorting, really is a lifestyle. It's not just one psalm, two-thirds of the way through the book. It's got everything in it. If we want to live a lifestyle of worship, we want our whole life to be offered up to God in that kind of a way, then Psalm 100 has it all right in there in one bullion cube of a beautiful psalm. So let's read it together one last time. It is a, this is Psalm 100. Read it together with me, please. A psalm for thanksgiving. But not just for the third Thursday of November. A psalm for, oh, when should we give thanks? Give thanks in all things. Not give thanks for all things. Give thanks in all things. Amen? A psalm for thanksgiving. All right, let's read it together. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Oh, that was pretty good. 
seven commandments in the psalm, seven things to do to cultivate a lifestyle of worship. And I tell you what happens, and when we gather corporately for worship, if we've been living a lifestyle of worship seven days a week, for this time that we have, these couple of hours we spend together, built, being a temple built together of living stones to be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, it takes our praise to a whole new level. I don't know about you, I love singing songs. When I'm in the car, I'm singing songs. In my house, I sing songs. It, everywhere is a good place to worship, but there's something about being together and hearing the voices of other saints singing. Like my favorite times in worship are when when the drums quiet down, as much as I love playing them, when everything gets quiet in the musical instruments and we use the most important, best instrument of all, which is the human voice. There is something about hearing the sound of the saints of God sing, whether you got a great voice or a not so great voice. There is something about all of us joining together and singing. It's just amazing. So these things that the psalm says, these are a way to cultivate a lifestyle so that when we join together, how many of you have experienced some kind of miraculous event in your life just in the middle of worship and praise here at Hillside? Something happened. Nobody laid hands on you. You just maybe entered into worship or you walked in the door. I've heard it so many times, dozens of times over my 15 years here in Millersburg. Some people would say, I just walked through the door. And all of a sudden, I felt peaceful. All of a sudden, this need that I've been, you know, hobbling on all week, it felt strong and whole again. And all kinds of things have happened in that place. So that's what we're looking for. So we're living it 24-7. When we come together, it's like, uh, you know, two are better than one kind of thing. Two will put, or one will put a, a hundred, a hundred to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight. It's that synergy of joining together. So shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. I'm going to suggest to you, I'll let the word command you to, because that's what it says to do. I have no authority over you unless you give it. But the word has authority over all of us. There ought to be times that we shout joyfully to the Lord. In fact, I'm going to challenge you, if you're a sports fan, count how many times you shout Eagles fans when... When you're having a good game, I'm going to suggest to you that you shout at least that many times to the Lord. Otherwise, what's really being revealed is what's important to us and what really stirs us the most. Amen? All right. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. This is for you to read with me. Come before Him with joyful singing. So two more commandments there. Serve the Lord with gladness. There it is again. Everything that we do, this is halal. Everything that we do is worship. When we're working on our jobs, when we're working in our house, yep, even when we're doing chores, when we're doing the dishes, sweeping the floor, cleaning up after the cats, it's all worship if we do it unto the Lord. When chores feel like a chore is when we forget, oh, this is doing unto the Lord. Chores feel like chores. Work feels like labor, like toil is the biblical word for it. When we forget, we're doing this unto the Lord. He is receiving worship right now with this. If nothing else, when you have one of those days at work, boy, you bring in a sacrifice of praise. That day you feel like quitting and you don't, but you're faithful on the job, you are ministering to the Lord with that, and it's a pleasing thing to Him. Amen. So come before him with joyful singing. That means that there's some, uh, we don't just wait in our easy chair at home, kick back and say, okay, God, whenever you're ready, do what you're going to do. There's also a coming before him, meaning we move our body. That, that means come before him doesn't just mean in our mind thinking about it. It means we present ourselves. We present our bodies living sacrifices, like Romans says. We do that, but we actually come into his presence. Now, where is his presence? I know it's in us. It's all around us. In him, we live and move and have our being. I get that. But this means actually move your body into a place as you're presenting yourself before the Lord. And here when we gather is a great time and place to do it, but I hope you do that seven days a week. Come before Him with joyful singing. Joyful singing. All right, let's go on. Verse 3. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So we know things about God. This is yada. Not yada, 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 but yada. This means to know intimately, to experientially know, to confess something, to actually dig in on something and, and live it. That's what no means. We think in the Western world, no means, oh, I know it in my mind. 
And, and a lot of times we can make this mistake. We've got to all be careful, and I'm including myself in this. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before when somebody's sharing a prophetic word or a message or something like that. Oh, I've heard that one before. Like, yeah, the prodigal son. Oh, man, I've read that. I've heard that. I've preached that a couple of dozen times. And so I'm, instead of yada, I want to experience this right now in my heart. I'm saying yada, yada, yada. And you can miss out on what the Lord's imparting in that moment by, by thinking, well, I know this in my mind. No, it means if you're hearing it, it means the Lord wants you to experience it with your heart, experience it with your life. There's always something new. Amen? All right. Four in this one. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So there's an entering his gates. There's a coming into the place where his presence is. And his presence is in us. So in one sense, and I'm going to show you this today with a couple of scriptures that, that are very Christmassy. I'm going to show you the, the origins of Christmas. Entering his gates means tap into what's on the inside. Where is the gate of his presence right now? Where is the way to enter into the temple of God? Yeah, the temple's in us now. We are the temple. So that means get inside and find Christ in you because, man, when, when he is tapped into, when we get into that inner resource, now our praise has come to a whole new level. Now we're praising with angels. Now we are coming into agreement with the heavenly eternal songs. And that's worship. Enter his gates, how? With thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. So we start in the place of just rehearsing God's goodness, the things he has done, the things about him that we're thankful for. And then we come into that place of high praise where we're just praising who he is. Uh, praise him for who he is and praise him for what he's done. We come into that. We give thanks to him. This is going to be a lot of giving thanks. A lot of giving thanks. Why is that? You know, thanks is the vehicle by which we don't become accustomed, so accustomed to God that he becomes too familiar. The, the, the cure for not being spoiled, not being, uh, taking God for granted, not taking the goodness of God for granted is to remain eternally thankful. If we can impart that to our kids, if we can live that ourselves, to be eternally thankful for the little things and the great things and not just take for granted and say, okay, well, what have you done for me lately? Not like that. Not like the Israelites in the wilderness who took manna for granted and, and ended up, you know, basically saying, God, Jesus, we, we're sick of you. We loathe this manna, they said. You could, we get so accustomed to the reality of what we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, what he's given to us. Thankfulness keeps it alive in us. And then we bless his name as a result. Okay, verse 5 sums it up. Why do we do all of this? What's the reason behind our praise? What's the reason for all of what we bring to the Lord? For the Lord is good. Read it with me. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Why do we praise? Why do we worship? Why do we give thanks? Because this is reality right here. This is a reality check. The Lord is good. There are things that happen in our lives and our heart begins to lie to us that because I had this tragedy, because I had this loss, it brings grief and our heart begins to lie that maybe God's not good. Maybe God doesn't love me like he said he would. Maybe God is a little bit more like a yin-yang kind of thing and he's in a bad mood today and, and man, all of a sudden he, like, he left me here, he forsook me here. Why do we worship him? Because he's always good. He's always the same. He never changes. I am the Lord. I changeth not. He says he doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we believe the Lord's not good, somebody's lying to us. Something in us is lying to us. Some voice that we've been giving ear to has been lying to us, trying to convince us that God's not good. You could sooner convince me that I am of Asian origin than you could convince me that God is not good. And I did a genetic test, so I know it's 0% Asian. The Lord is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting. So He's good. His loving kindness, that's the most beautiful Hebrew word there is, is chesed. It means all the experience of God's goodness. One thing, if God was good, and He lived in a faraway, distant land of heaven, just kind of stayed up there on His throne, hung out with the angels and, and whoever else, and, and all that, and, and that's it. But no, He extends His goodness to us. He makes sure that we find tangible reasons to remember His goodness. 
back to the whole first four verses of the psalm. That's why we're eternally giving thanks. Not because God's like, hey, you didn't thank me for the last one, so, so you're thankful and hold out on the next. Not for him. It's for our own hearts so we don't forget. Because how many of you forget? I know I sure do. Don't, my wife's not here. She'd be amening in the back right now. God bless her. She's birthing a baby right now. <laughs> but we forget. And so we give thanks to rehearse to our heart and our mind. You know, the things that you dwell on, the things we think about in our mind are the things that our memory goes to the quickest. So if you experience something or learn something and never think about it again, it goes into, it gets buried in the recesses of our mind. But the things that we think about the most, meditate upon, the things we're rehearsing in our memory over and over again, especially the ones that touched our heart, like the Lord always does, that's the first thought that comes to our mind. So I was just going to encourage you with this. If you wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, and throughout the day are rehearsing bitterness and negative experiences and things that have happened in life that caused pain and grief and sorrow, I'm going to urge you to start meditating on good things. Set your mind on things above in that realm where Christ is and rehearse those things because his loving kindness is everlasting whether our heart at the moment agrees with that or not. For This is why we worship. The Lord's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. He doesn't ever have a day. He can't help himself. He's always pouring out love. Whether we experience that or not is our choice. Whether we embrace his goodness, whether we say that was a result of your loving kindness, this good thing that happened to me, that was your loving kindness extended to me. What a good God I have. Or not, that's up to us. But he's always broadcasting goodness. Sure as the sun is always sending light and all the other stuff the sun sends to the earth, God is always extending that toward us. That's the truth. And his faithfulness. The Lord's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Why else do we worship? Because his faithfulness is to all generations. There's never been, despite generations' experience with God, there's never been a single generation since Adam and Eve that God ever said, that's it, I'm out of here. He's always been faithful. He's always, his eyes have always gone to and fro about the earth so that he could strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. He's always been that way. So the psalm kind of sums it up and our worship gets summed up by this, that if we don't agree with those three statements, the Lord's good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations, then something's up on our end of the equation. Something got in there, it's like a filter came over our eyes. You ever try to drive when it's really like nasty, slushy snow and you run out of fluid? You know what I'm talking about? I used to live in upstate New York in the snow belt. I went to college up there. And I mean, you could run out in one drive, in a one hour drive, when it, the way it snows up there, you could run out of fluid. Well, after a few swipes of that windshield wiper, man, you're, you're toast. So then you get your rag out and you kind of go on like this to find one little spot to drive, you know, so you can get some more fluid. That's what happens when, when we forget these three things or when we set our, our eyes on other things or we meditate on other things. It's like our windshield now is covered with slush and slime from the road. And, and we got to have it cleaned. And that's where worship begins. So if we struggle to worship, this is where we begin. He's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness is to all generations. Now I want to get into one last thing. This is a, a kind of revelation thing. And I want to tell you a Christmas story. Now, there are four Gospels, and Matthew begins with a genealogy. <laughs> That's a real page-turner right there, because it was written for Jews. And the Jews, first of all, needed to know. So this Jesus you've been talking about, we've been studying genealogies from the beginning, because we know the lineage of Messiah, and we want you to prove to us, before you go on and tell the stories, how can we know for sure that he's of the right lineage? And that's why Matthew begins with that. And then he goes on, he tells the whole Christmas story, the Magi and all that. And then Mark, Mark kind of skips over. He's like, let's get to the good stuff when you're casting out demons by the first chapter. Mark's like, blah, 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 baby in the manger. Okay, you all know that story. Let's get to the stuff now. And, and many people believe because it was written for Romans and they were people of action. They're not looking for a cute little baby with, you know, wise men and a baby that doesn't cry and all this stuff. And anyway, and then there's Luke, who's, you know, Christmas story. Most of us read Christmas morning. You know, it's the whole story. You got the shepherds, you got the angels, you got the, you know, the whole thing going on, the whole story of the incarnation and everything in that. But then John says, you know what? I've heard what all the other guys said. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. We've got to back our story up a few years. In fact, we've got to back our story up to before in the beginning, God said. Because this story didn't begin with some baby laying in a manger. This is, I'm sharing this today because this revelation is the heart of worship. I'm feeling stirred already. And I've been reading it all week to prepare to share with you. I hope I can get through it. Because when you see it, I'm talking not with the mind. Don't hear today with your mind, please. Put your mind in the back seat for once and let's be led by the Spirit. You know that means not just Holy Spirit comes and takes charge of our life, right? God never said, you know, he doesn't get in our car and say, okay, move over. I got the wheel. He's not like that. He gets in. He said, let me get inside of you, and I'm going to teach you how to drive my way. He doesn't take over. Led by the Spirit also means our spirit now is out in front instead of how we usually live our lives. Carnal things first. Things we got to eat, things we got to do, all the comforts and all the things we do to, to take care of our physical being in some kind of a way. Led by the Spirit, then, then maybe our soul gets some attention. We take care of our heart. We make sure that we're emotionally healthy. We take care of our inner man a little bit, and we make sure that all of that. And then our spirit gets the leftovers. What if we would live life reversed? What if we would say, you know what, before I eat, before I take care of my own personal heart, I want to make sure that my spirit is so alive to God right now. And you know what happens? Everything else follows suit. As soon as our spirit's connected with the God of heaven, how many of you have experienced this with just, just one touch from the Lord? Just one touch. You don't even have to say anything. Just sometimes a sense that he's with me right now. I've had some in every one of my deepest moments of grief and loss that I've experienced in my life. I don't, I don't even have words to pray, and I'm not even looking for him to say anything. But he knows what I need. He knows what all of us needs. It's just I just need to know you're here right now. Because knowing you're here means it's going to be all right. And that's, what our, and that's what happens when our spirit's out in front. So hear the word of the Lord say with your spirit. Because I'm going to just read some scripture because Jesus said it better than I can. So John opens up his gospel in the beginning. It's like we need to write the Bible and start over again. Because there's some details Moses left out that have now been revealed in Christ. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, right? In the beginning. In the beginning of what? The beginning of time. In the beginning of what we understand in the created order. But there must have been someone there before the beginning, being God. So Jesus' origin is not in a manger in about 30 AD, some or um, uh, whatever, 6 AD, I don't know what year. They, uh, man, you read whatever article you want and figure it out, but somewhere about the turn of A.D. B.C., which is why we numbered our dates, by the way, based on him, that that's not where he originated. John said, let's go back to in the beginning, because I need you to see something here. Because in his day, obviously, people knew Jesus of Nazareth. They knew Jesus crucified. They even, some of them, knew Jesus risen from the dead. And an even smaller handful saw Jesus ascended into heaven. But nobody completely understood yet, not till the apostles and prophets began to reveal the fullness of everything the scriptures had said and the fullness of all of what they experienced with Jesus of Nazareth, that he was a lot more than that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, some people think, oh man, now we got two gods, maybe we got three gods. No. When you see what Jesus is, what, what is the breath that we have in our lungs? Is that like another part of us or is that us? It's, it's us. It's in us. It's a part of us until we breathe it out. Now something from inside of us got expressed on the outside. So he, Jesus was in the beginning with God. Christ was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So that's just in case you don't know what all things means. It means he didn't leave anything out. Every single thing that exists, there is nothing else apart from what came from the inside of God. All of creation originated in God. This is deep stuff. Spirit of God on the inside of every saint Bring us revelation understanding beyond the words that this preacher could ever put together. 
Would you help us to know and understand and tap into who you really are? Hallelujah. So out of the abundance of his heart, God spoke everything that exists into being. Where do we speak from? It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Everything from the stars in the sky to the giraffes to the the very dirt on the ground. Everything had its origins in the abundance of God's heart. Jesus was first incarnated in those words of life. So God spoke, and what was it he was speaking? It's Jesus. It's Christ in everything. Now, we don't worship the trees. We don't, you know, we're not animists. We don't believe that Jesus is physically in every living thing like that. That's not what we mean by that. It means that his life is in everything. He imparted it out of God's heart. Everything came into being and everything has its life. Jesus himself was first incarnated by all the things that God spoke into existence, including the first man and woman. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now there came a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. Um, He came as a witness to testify to the light, or about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So that's just a little clarification there by John. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. That word enlighten means something comes into you and it, it it's like everything makes sense right now. It's like being in a dark room. You ever go, anybody ever go caving, spelunking? And you go in a cave and you've experienced pitch black. I mean like real pitch black. Like if you go on a tour in some of those caves where you got a funny tour guide, they tell you, boy, it's so dark in here. You, can, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And then they turn the lights on and everybody's like this. That kind of darkness If you've ever been in that kind of a darkness, then you know what your spirit was experiencing before Christ came. Because that's what it was like. We thought we knew, and some of us, me included, said, oh, I'm so spiritual. And we had no clue. We were like people feeling around in a dark cave, sometimes finding some good things, sometimes stumbling upon some things that God had prepared for us, but not having a dang clue what was actually going on. That's what this word enlightened means. All of a sudden, the lights come on, and you can see the beauty of everything around you and understand. And you can look back and say, oh my goodness, I almost died. There was a cliff back there I didn't even know existed and all this stuff. That's what Jesus is. The true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So that means everybody alive has a moment where they encounter the light. They encounter Jesus. They might not know his name, They might not know his story, but they have an encounter with the living God. That's a promise from God. He enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. There's that word again, only this time it's in the Greek. The world was so, you know, the Pharisees who studied the scriptures, Jesus told them, Look, you search the scriptures, believing in them, you have life, but these are they which testify of me. Meaning, if you really understood, if you could read these things not with your mind, but with your heart, You'd recognize me right now. I'm the incarnation of everything you've been studying since you went to Hebrew school at at 10 years old. I'm the incarnation of it. You don't get it. You think you understand the scriptures, but you don't. The world didn't know him. Experience him. The world couldn't. So that's why he came to his own and his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Receive is this, it's a more powerful word than the way we use it. We think and we football playing Americans, I mean American football playing, it's not like real football that's going to happen later today when Argentina does its thing. But they receive him, we think means, oh, I'm going to catch something that's thrown to me. Receive in the Greek, receive this word in the scriptures means grab hold of something like your life depends on it. That's what receive means. Receive means I am thirsty, about to die of dehydration, and somebody puts a bottle of water out in front of me. Now, I don't know if any of us have ever been like that. I've been never close to actual dehydration. Well, I have. I've got the crampy dehydrating thing. When you get water in front of you, what, what happens if you're not? You just... <laughs> That's receive. I'm grabbing hold of this thing like my very life depends on it. Because guess what? It does. Jesus coming into the world, our lives depended on him. Our lives now and our lives for eternity. 
Those were, who were his own did not receive him. What did they offer him? And instead of, of offering him a welcome mat, instead of receiving him like a king with the rolling out the red carpets, they offered him a plot and put him on a cross. That's how his own received him. But as many as received him, he gave the right or the power, some translations have it, to as many as received Jesus. So there's believing in Jesus. There's acknowledging that God raised him from the dead. There's, you know, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. These are all the things the scriptures say about salvation. But here John the evangelist says, here's the bottom line word to sum it up. If Jesus is presented before you and you grab hold of him and take him into yourself like a hungry man eats food, as many as received him, he gave the power. You are now going to have supernatural power. The power of God unto salvation to those that believe. You're going to become children of God now, even to those who believe in his name. So we get translated out of being children of darkness into being children of God, just like that, just by receiving the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful equation? It's just receiving him. Who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. So we were born of God, meaning we have our origin on the inside of God. And then it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is the whole package. He's grace and he's truth. You can't have one without the other and be in Christ. And you don't, we don't have Christ unless we have both. He's grace, but grace doesn't mean greasy grace. Go on and just keep living your life as if you don't have God in it. And, and we don't just have truth, which means line up or else. We have grace and truth embodied in Christ. That's what we have. John testified about him and so on. And for of, of us, we have received and grace upon grace. Of his fullness, grace upon grace. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Grace upon grace. Literally, Christ upon Christ. You know, his name means grace. Christos. It means the grace of God. We have Christ upon Christ. Grace upon grace. That's what happens when we grab hold, when we receive him and say, okay, that's what's now on the inside working. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. I got the song on my head now. I know Brian knows that one, right? That's a, that's a good old one right there. The law was given through Moses, but grace, grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So just, I want to capture, this is part one here. Christ is the only begotten Son, we say. Begotten means had His origin on the inside of the Father. And we say, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So we're all sons and daughters of God, but He's the only begotten Son, which means that there's a, a certain, like in His genetic code, for example, His origin is directly from the Father Himself. Now, I'll, I'll show you why that matters in a moment, because it doesn't mean that Jesus is in some elite class all by Himself. It doesn't mean that we don't have access to all the same things that Christ Jesus now has access to. It simply means his origin is a little bit different than ours. Adam is called in, in Luke's genealogy the Son of God. Not the same kind of Son of God as Jesus. Jesus came from inside the Father. Adam was shaped from the dust of the earth. And then God what? breathed into him the breath of life. The same breath, you know, it's breath that causes us to speak, to form words. We just move our lips and our tongue and our throat. It's an amazing thing, language, isn't it? How we figure out how to make sounds. Without anybody teaching us, we learn how to make the sounds our parents are making when we're babies. And we start, you know, you know, we form words like that. We start, for, all right, how do you make a D sound? We don't sit there and tell our baby this is how you make it, because you know daddy should be the first word, right? <laughs> da, da. How did they figure it out to put your tongue up to the roof of your palate and then go da? They're just watching. It's just an amazing thing. You're not nearly as impressed about that as I am. It's a fascinating thing. But what causes all voice to happen has got to be breath behind it. You breathe, and then it comes through a filter for our vocal cords and our mouth and our tongue and all that, and then it takes on shape. 
And then things outside of our mouth begin to take shape as they did in the beginning. Our words create worlds. Chris Fallotson said that so well, what, what we use our mouth for. So Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, John said. How many of you are in Christ? I'm going to preach the gospel if you don't raise your hand right now. And I feel like that's kind of basic for the crew I see here today. We're all in Christ. That's what it means. Christ in us, us in Christ. Just like we are in the air and the air is in us. That's how it works. And so if you're in Christ, we are all in the bosom of the Father. The bosom literally means the place that you embrace. Bosom means the area between the shoulders. This is your bosom. What belongs in your bosom? The things you love. I was going to make my daughter come up, but I'm not going to because <laughs> she's glaring at me right now. In the bosom of the Father, you get wrapped up right here, and that's where we live. This is where we are. I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes. Sometimes, and you know, with my kids, when they when they freak out and they're you know they're losing their mind, what we do? I mean, when we have our wits about us, come here and we give them a hug. That's where we live. That's where Christ originated. That's where we are in Christ. We're in the bosom of the Father. And nothing can steal us out of His hands. He's too strong. There's nothing that can take us away from that. Now, whether we experience all the goodness of that embrace, that's on us. Just like if you got some, you know, you got your two-year-old and they're freaking out and they're, and they're not having it. You ain't hugging me right now. I wanna, I wanna go break something, you know, and, and we do that as adults. We're just a little bit quieter about it and more subtle. But we do that. But if, if we're in Christ, where we are spiritually, 24-7, 365, is in the bosom of the Father. And there's room for everyone in that embrace. There's room for everyone. It's the Father's desire. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. It, it kind of, it, it's like, you know, one of those, there are two kinds of people statements and there are those that live their lives and communicate or even believe and preach certain things that separate people from the bosom of the father there there are even philosophies purported uh, purported by christians by preachers just heard one this morning that you know god's pro-choice so it's okay to kill your babies god said so it's in his word I mean, that, that that's not gathering people to the bosom of the father that's killing people that's so that's scattering so we're either gathering people to the bosom of the father or we're scattering them away by the way we live our lives there's room for everyone in that embrace and it's god's desire that nobody should perish which means die and stay dead forever it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to life so, Ephesians 1, I just want to close with this. Just um, receive the revelation of this. And this Christmas, as we, we all pause to celebrate, and I hope to see you all Christmas Eve, we're going to have a, a great time here with the kids. I'm really excited about getting them all in costumes, and they're going to help us tell the, the Christmas story, maybe a little bit different than it says in the Bible. Same truth, a little bit of historical fiction maybe added in, or some details that may or may not have happened, but... Uh, I promise it'll be engaging for your two-year-olds. <laughs> I just thought of something. I wish I got to write it down. Something else I want to do. Anyway, Ephesians 1 zooms us out so that we could see the big picture of things. And I, I do hope that all of us, I mean, I think in Christ, Christmas ought to be, Christmas and Resurrection Day ought to be the two days of the calendar that are the most heart-engaging of all, the two moments that we pause to celebrate. There'd be no resurrection without a crucifixion. There'd be no crucifixion unless God prepared a body for the Christ who was there before time, and that, that was incarnate in Christ Jesus. And uh, so there'd be not one without the other. But Ephesians 1, and I encourage you to meditate on this. I'll be teaching the book of Ephesians, by the way, starting in mid-January. So um, about halfway through... I think January 11th-ish, I'm going to start, and we're going to spend 10 weeks in the book of Ephesians. And I urge you to make some time to either be a part of that on Wednesday nights. It's better if you're there. Hi, Mom. <laughs> it's better if you're there because you ask people ask questions, and I like to have a two-way conversation out of the Scriptures, and I like pulling out the revelation in those that are present. So it's better if Wednesday nights, if you're not... 
<laughs> if you're not part of youth ministry, the, to be there. But, but, but please take it in. It's such an important book. I think it's the most revelatory book. Sorry. It's the most revelatory book. Don't use that one. <laughs> Why are you taking it anyway? <laughs> um, you have to get permission to put it on social media. <laughs> Ephesians is such a revelatory book to understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. Ephesians is your book. So uh, 10 weeks in Ephesians, it'll change our lives. And I mean ours because I'm, I'm studying to start preparing now. I've read and taught this book more than any other book in the New Testament. And I'm seeing things like for the first time, and it's overwhelming me. I'm getting so excited about the eternal plans of God. I don't even care about elections and blah, blah, blah nonsense anymore. You get taken up and sit in heavenly places for a little bit. All of a sudden, perspective comes into order, and I'm not freaked out anymore by things. Now I gotta be careful what radio station I listen to it, you know, so I don't, like, I don't want to lose my, my salvation. <laughs> I just got, I'm just kidding. But here it is. In Christ. So we are in Christ, which means we're in the bosom of the Father. As we, the series, what I felt to, to call it was make room. Make room. So the, the, the concept is God's already made room for us. As I shared last week at the Last Supper, He said, I go to prepare a place for you, which means I'm going to make some room for you. There's plenty of room for everybody. There's so many mansions in my Father's house. There's so many places to live. I'm never going to run out. And that didn't mean that Jesus, uh, with all respect to Keith Green, who I adore, he hadn't been working on heaven for 2,000 years. <laughs> It's a sweet song, but heaven, heaven existed a long time ago, right? He's making room for us, not in heaven, in paradise, when heaven and earth are one again. And he's made room for everyone. And now it's a matter of who can we gather because it's more fun with more people. I'm going to go watch the Buffalo Bills in January. I'm going to drive to Buffalo in January. I can't wait. It's snowing up there right now. They got seven feet of snow before Thanksgiving. But I want to go watch a game, and I hope it snows two feet in the stadium. You just see they throw snowballs at each other in the middle of the game. That's going to be a riot. But a football game, I'm using a carnal example to illustrate. So I'm coming to a point, I promise. A football game. Can you imagine a pro football game with 5,000 spectators? I mean, you know, there's a person, and then there's like, a hundred empty seats around you. Pro football game with 5,000 or a pro football game like, well, a Penn State game with 100,000? What's going to be a more exciting atmosphere to live in? Now, I know all you introverts are like, ah, I'll take the 5,000. But <laughs> you don't worry, it's not going to be like that. <laughs> you're going to love the people you're hanging out with. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. <laughs> we think the things that we get blessed with in the earth are something. I love the things that God's blessed me with in this planet, the relationships, the family, the even some of the stuff, the things I've gotten to do, the places I've gotten to see. But man, that's just in the earth. Can you imagine every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, which was the origin of all this stuff? <laughs> he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him when? before the foundation of the world before in the beginning before in the beginning he chose us in Christ before there was such a thing as time, before the meaning of the word before meant anything. Do you know there's no such thing as before the beginning? That's a... <laughs> when you're the eternal, everlasting Father and you have no time, there's no beginning, no end, and you live in a realm before in the beginning. He chose us in Christ before the beginning. That's how much we were chosen. That's how secure we are in his love. That's how much we are fixed in heavenly places in Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, 
Now, you got numbers in your Bible? They put the five, all the numbers in this chapter are all jacked up. When we study the book, we're going to remove the numbers. I'm sorry, I love, you know, whoever translated the Bible, some monk added the numbers in there, and they jacked it up in so many places where it doesn't make sense. That is not a good place to break up a chapter. And this was not a good place to break up the verse. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. So we're in Christ or in love, which is to say the same thing. To be in Christ is to be in love. That's where we were chosen. Our origin is in the place in love, as in the natural, as somebody either prayed or prophesied. I forget when it came out this morning. Two people love each other. That's how human life gets created. By acting upon their love for each other, life gets formed. That blows me away every time I think of it. And in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons to, through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Meaning, it never depended on us. It was never going to be messed up by us. It's still not dependent on us to this day. All we got to do is respond and receive. And it's never been dependent on our good days, bad days, good seasons, bad seasons. It's always been by the kind intention of His will. So, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In the beloved. Now, there's another in there. There's an in Christ. There's an in love. And now there's an in the beloved. You know who the beloved is, right? That's the bride of Christ. Do you know that every last one of us has been accepted in the beloved? There's nobody, nobody who's received Christ and who is in Christ that is rejected by the beloved. There might be people within the beloved who just got issues and they may project a spirit of rejection. Yes, that does happen in the body of Christ. But we are accepted in the beloved, by the one who loves the beloved, which is what makes the beloved beloved. I think I said that right the first time. Don't ask me to repeat it. The beloved is so because he loves the beloved. And you're in the beloved. If we're in Christ, we are in the beloved. The one who God puts his affections on. Just just try to picture, I know every marriage has its ups and downs, ins and outs and so on, but just remember, try to call to mind the moment where you could see no one else but your beloved. Moment that you looked her in the eyes, maybe for, for many of us, I know one moment for me was when my bride walked down the aisle. And it was dramatic because it was this outdoor wedding and there was kind of a, a, a hill, so I couldn't see her coming till first the top of her head and then her veiled face and then the rest of her began to appear over that hill. I want to tell you, I about passed out. And I just began to bawl, hard cry, seeing my beloved. And knowing that from this day on and for the rest of my life, it's the two of us. Imagine just call to mind those moments. That's how Jesus is looking at us in the beloved. His grace, which he freely bestowed on all of us in the beloved. That's us. In Him, this is in Christ. There's none of this outside of Christ. There, all the things I'm about to read, this is very specific. These promises, these, these things are not for the whole world. They're available to the whole world for sure. They're Christ so, you know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that so whoever should believe, anyone, no matter how deep we got into our junk and sin, everyone's invited, but there are certain things that are only available when we say yes and respond. As with a marriage, there could be a bridegroom, but if that bride doesn't show up on the wedding day and she doesn't accept the ring when he puts it on, then, then there's no marriage in him. That's where we come into the equation. It is a two-way relationship. It's wholly dependent on him as far as the character goes, as far as having the perfection necessary to be worthy of paradise. That's all on Christ. But it's on us to be a responsive beloved, to be ones who do turn our face toward him and say yes to the wedding. I mean, in a sense, Jesus' first coming, you've 
if you've been here for a long enough time, haven't shared for a while, um, the, the Jewish betrothal ritual is exactly like Christ's first coming and his return. And at his first coming was proposal of marriage. I am proposing to you, you will be my beloved. As far as I'm concerned, that promise is good no matter what. But how many of you know you don't have to show up for the wedding day? You can say, nah, not interested. We do have that choice. Otherwise, it's not paradise, it's a prison. We have to be able to make a choice. That's what love means. So in him now, on the other side of that choice, and by the way, every time I say that, I'll get questions about what about eternal security and all, all these theological terms that come up. And I believe we're eternally secure if we're in Christ. But then you have to ask a question, how do I know I'm in Christ? Because <laughs> not everybody has eternal life. Not everybody is in Christ. So there is a choice along the way. And that, But I always say this to put everyone's hearts at rest. If you're at all concerned about it, you're in Christ. If you care about it, you're in Christ. If you're, you know, for example, although it's a thing I, I wish everyone was free from, if we ever feel condemnation because of the things we've said or done, we're in Christ. Because we feel it. It's not, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if we feel it, it means we have an alive spirit in us that's grieved because we've just acted in a way contradictory to our divine nature. And that's where condemnation for a Christian comes from. Don't get under it and don't believe for a second that that came from heaven. That came from somewhere within. I'm getting off on a different message now. It's not where I wanted to go. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to our faithfulness to the call. Come on, man, it's right in front of you. Nudge your head no or something like that. Joel nodded no at least. He's tracking with me. <laughs> Yell at me when I misquote scripture, man. You don't get to do that from this pulpit. Like, there's no pulpit up here. <laughs> no! Which he, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Not according to our ability to maintain our end of the relationship, but according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all of his wisdom and insight. Do you know that God was wise and insightful when he chose every one of us to be part of his beloved? And we could argue with him, and sometimes we do that self-deprecating humor thing and say, yeah, well, maybe he had an off day when he chose me. Stop talking like that. He was wise when he chose you to be his. He was insightful when he chose us to be his. He saw it all. So, you know, this is an important revelation that he not only forgave us for all the sins B.C. in our lives before we knew Christ, but he already knew every boneheaded dumb thing we were going to do from that day onward too. And in his wisdom and his insight, he chose us to lavish us with his grace. That's the truth. So I'm sharing this with you, digging in deep, because if this doesn't make us worship, then I don't know what will. If this doesn't make thankfulness and gratitude rise up in our hearts with every thought of inclination of our heart toward it, I don't know what will make us worship him. I would propose even if he showed up physically in this room, it wouldn't be worship. It might be trembling fear on our face, shaking, but it wouldn't be worship. This is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. This revelation is what makes us worship. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. So it's always going to be about Jesus. No matter which way we look, it's always going to come back to being in Christ with a view of the administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, here it is, the summing up of all things where? In Christ. So where do we originate? Where did he choose us? In Christ, before we land the foundations of the earth. And then we were all born. We were born of flesh and blood. Then we were born of the Spirit. And where are we going to end up? Back in Christ. He's gathering everything back to its origin. That is why um, we're going to do this uh, discipleship series. A few people are going to teach it. It's called Restored. We got restored to our original purpose a little bit better, oh, a lot better than it was before. But we got restored to God's original plan and purpose that we're in Christ. We get to live this life in Christ. We get to live eternally in Christ. Things in the heaven and things on the earth. Notice, not things under the earth. 
That always refers to the realm of the dead or, you know, things that don't belong, the realm under the earth. Not those things. Now they will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Both things in heaven, things on the earth, and things under the earth. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But he's not going to wrap those things up, not the things under the earth in Christ. That was a deep thought for the Ephesians class. We'll dig in on that. In him also... We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So how do we know? We got like a little foretaste, and that's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is just a little taste of what eternity is going to be like. That's how we begin to experience heaven, not in pie in the sky and the by and by, but in the here and now. Holy Spirit is our access to bring heaven into the earth. It's the reason why we can pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because we have Holy Spirit to impart that to this very planet we live on now. The world and the earth as it is will experience heaven because we've got Holy Spirit in us. So, in Christ is where life finds its origin and finds its own only eternal purpose. It's only full and eternal purpose in Christ. You can find 50%. We can find a measure of it outside of Christ. There are people that live long, joyful, fulfilled lives in a measure outside of Christ. But to really tap into the destiny and the fullness of what we were created to be means getting in Christ, living in that place, not where we visit Jesus sometimes, but where we're in Him 24-7, 365. For us to remain in Christ means He must remain in us. So back to the, I'll just kind of wrap up this series with this point. What will we do to host him? What will we do? This is a good time of year, right? You're getting ready to make some New Year's resolutions. I don't do that anymore. I just figure whenever I get convicted about something, let's make a resolution to do that or not do that anymore. But end of the year, it's just kind of a cyclical thing that we do. Making resolutions. How am I going to make 2023 better than 2022? On that list, I would suggest Asking the question. This is a ponder the path of your feet so that your ways might be established kind of question. How can I make more room for Jesus to be front and center in my life? How can I make more room, make room for him to, to be even more involved in my life, to be even more centered? How can I make room in my life so that I'm seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness? What, what can I do to make room for him? Or is my life going to be like a, a manger and a stable, and, and there was no room in the inn. Is my life going to be the place where he's welcomed like a king? What can I do to accommodate that? Christ in you, the, the revelation of we're in Christ, and it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, that whole revelation is given to us so that we can worship from a depth of our being that was once dead to us. That's why Christ in you is so important to get, that it's not just that we're in Christ, is that Christ is in us, which means when our heart and our flesh fail, we know that God is the strength of our life and our portion forever. So that we know that seasons come and seasons go. Hearts rise, hearts fall. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. No matter what's happening around us, there's always this sense of all I gotta do is enter his gates and tap into Christ in me and everything can be restored as if it was never broken in the first place. There's a, a great song that Michael Card wrote about the incarnation. It's called uh, The Final Word. You may know, how many of you love Michael Card? Do you remember him? Oh, am I the only one? Boy, you're going to love this. See, I didn't have to say it. I could have just said it was my poem. You wouldn't even have known. But it goes like this. said, you and me, we use so very many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. But when the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation, and so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed. <laughs> Make a way divine. 
And so was born a baby who would die to make it mine. And so the Father's fondest thought took on flesh and bone. He spoke the living, luminous word, and at once his will was done. And so the transformation that in man had been unheard was placed in God the Father as he spoke that final word. As he spoke the incarnation, and so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who would die to make it mine. And so the light became alive. Man, it became man. (laughs) Eternity stepped into time so that we could understand. That understanding and that revelation of that way that was made when the Word of God became flesh. Not just a little boy in a manger. What an amazing entry it had. The incarnation waiting for centuries in a manger and a stable. But maybe that revelation of Christ in you being the very living Word of God itself fill your heart and your family with such a celebration of Christmas this year like you've never had in your lives before. (coughs) Amen. Amen. I love you. I hope to see you Christmas Eve, but if not, Merry Christmas. I love you all.